down women with diluted dreams are home for joy has been washed down the stream. I'm Robin Hawkins, and you're listening to Watered Down Women. Hoping to be free, found a new home in the cemetery. Is it just me, or does it seem like there's a Shakespeare quote for nearly every occasion? If someone looks great on the outside, but is actually an egotist, We could use the phrase, all that glitters is not gold, to describe that individual. If we're frustrated with our present circumstances, we might say, life is as tedious as the twice-told tale, vexing the ear of the drowsy man. If love goes awry, we'd complain, the course of true love never did run smooth. But if our love is true, we might confess, My bounty is as boundless as the sea, my love as deep. The more I give to thee, the more I have, for both are infinite. In Shakespeare's King Henry VI, Part Three, there's a line spoken by Gloucester which states, Why, I can smile and murder whilst I smile and cry content to that which grieves my heart, and wet my cheeks with artificial tears, and frame my face to all occasions. During the summer and fall of 1972 in Mansfield, Ohio, a serial rapist who evolved into a murderer could have very easily applied those very lines while plotting to attack his victims. Before we explore the background of this evildoer, let's go back to the summer of 1972 and look at a few more of his victims. Remember that in last week's episode, we learned the account of a woman who was abducted from a Mansfield laundromat and raped at gunpoint. She gave a detailed description of her attacker and of the vehicle he was driving. Her attack occurred on September 20th, and the ordeal began around 12.30 in the early morning hours. While providing an account of her abduction and rape, this victim was questioned in depth as to how she physically responded to his advances. About six weeks prior to this day, on August 2nd of 1972, another Mansfield woman was doing laundry at a local laundromat located at 263 Orange Street. While exchanging clothes from the washer to the dryer, she heard a noise from outside and quickly turned to see a man standing near the back door with a gun in his hand. He told her, don't move. Ignoring his order, she immediately ran toward the front door, exiting the doorway as a shot rang out from behind her. She escaped and fled to a nearby gas station 
and called the police and then called her husband. When the authorities arrived on the scene, the victim and her husband returned to the laundromat. She was questioned and asked if she thought the man was there to rob her. Seeing her purse still in the laundry cart and discovering that its contents were all in place, as was her unattended laundry, she replied that she didn't think he intended to rob her. She provided a detailed description of her attacker and her recollection of the events and then went home with her husband. The next morning, she arrived at the police station for a follow-up investigation and was shown a book of mugshots. She couldn't identify the culprit's picture from the book, but she did point to a man who resembled her attacker. A man who, interestingly enough, had the same last name as the man who would eventually be convicted of this crime. Later on the same morning, a man arrived to file a report about hearing around three gunshots coming from the laundromat, which was located near his house. He went out to the front of his house and reported hearing a very loud car that wasn't running right, fleeing from the scene, and he gave a description of that vehicle to the police. One week later, on August 9th, two Mansfield women were at the Park Avenue East laundromat when their ordeal began. Ironically, it was the very same laundromat in which Betty Dyer was last seen alive. It was approximately 3.20 in the morning, and these two sisters, ages 19 and 20, were doing the younger sister's laundry because the older sister worked second shift and couldn't help until after her shift ended. While they were taking clothes out of the washer, they heard the front door open and turned to see a black male enter the building, pulling a face mask over his face and carrying a gun. He told them that they were going to go with him and if they resisted or screamed, he would shoot them both. He led them out of the laundromat and ordered them both to get inside the car's trunk. Once inside, he drove for a couple of minutes and stopped for gas, and they overheard him telling the attendant that it was what he thought it was. After leaving the gas station, they reported being driven for about 15 more minutes and described the sounds they heard along the way and reported the feeling of going over railroad tracks and down what seemed to be a very long and bumpy lane. When the vehicle finally stopped, the assailant exited the car, opened the trunk, and ordered the older sister to get out and told the younger girl to stay put. He took the first victim to the side of the car and told her to remove her clothes. He then forced her into the front seat and proceeded to rape her. Afterward, he pointed the gun toward her and talked for about the next 15 to 20 minutes, 
telling her that he had taken downers earlier in the night, that he wasn't from the area, and that the car they were in was stolen. He then ordered her out of the car and led her at gunpoint to the back of the car and demanded that the two women switch places. As the younger sister climbed out of the trunk, she reached down to rub her leg, which was numb from being curled in a fetal position. And with that gesture, the attacker became very violent, accusing her of trying to read the license plate number. He then slammed the trunk closed, hitting the older sister on the head. He took the younger girl to the front seat forced her to remove her clothing, and then proceeded to rape her. Afterward, he ushered the younger girl back into the trunk and forced the older sister to get out again. He took her to the front of the car and raped her once again. Afterward, he removed the younger sister from the trunk and told her to sit in the front seat and remain there until he returned, or he would shoot her. He took the older sister down the lane and was gone for a couple of minutes, and they quickly returned to the car. He forced her into the front seat through the driver's side door and sped down the bumpy lane, attempting to get back on the road. While driving on the secluded and tree-surrounded dirt lane, what sounded to be a very large dog was barking and chasing after the car. The assailant opened his car door and shot in the direction of the dog, which immediately stopped barking. After this three-and-a-half-hour ordeal, the rapists drove the women back to the laundromat, told them to get directly in front of the car, and walk toward the wall of the building and stay there until they heard him drive away. Once he was gone, the women went inside, gathered their belongings, and immediately drove to the home of the younger sister's boyfriend and told him what had happened. After taking a little time to calm their nerves, the two women drove to the police station and filed an incident report about their horrific abduction. While giving their statements, the sisters were asked for particular details regarding how they physically responded to their attacker. The detective then said, Is it not, in fact, true that you and your sister do have and associate with coloreds quite frequently? And he proceeded to ask, would there be a very good chance that the party, or this assailant, could be a friend of one of your past or present associates? Just over a week after their attacks, the Detective Bureau received a report from Dr. Morkel's office advising the detectives that on both girls, there was no sperm, bruises, or injuries, or broken bones. And in parentheses, the report stated that the attack, quote, 
apparently happened in their dreams, unquote. Ironically, less than a year later, the same Dr. Merkel was found guilty of gross immorality and grossly unprofessional or dishonest conduct. And his medical license was suspended for 60 days. Eight years later, the good doctor was cited for allegedly over-prescribing Schedule II drugs. Watered down women with diluted dreams are home for joy has been washed down the stream. Grab a shovel and join me each Monday as we dig a little deeper and uncover the tragedies of watered-down women.